0: One of my clients, first-generation immigrant from Mexico, come here to, to have an experience of American dream and they find themselves living an American nightmare just because a tenant refused to pay the rent, not because they couldn't afford it. And that's what's happened with this moratorium.
1: The eviction moratorium was put in place to help those who needed it during the pandemic. But now, three years later, the moratorium continues on in some California areas. My guest today is Jonathan Madison, lead attorney at the Madison Law Firm. He'll explain why some counties still have the moratorium in place and how it's negatively impacting both tenants and landlords.
0: There's a domino effect. Foreclosures will happen. Notices of default will happen. More and more people will become homeless by way of the continued eviction moratoriums. You're seeing people begin to suffer. There's no savior coming.
1: I'm Siam Aikorami, welcome. The California Insider. Jonathan, it's great to have you back on, welcome back. Thank you CMA, thanks for having me, always good to see you. Great to see you too. So we wanna to talk to you about the eviction moratorium. It's in some places it's ending, and some places it's already ended. And the last time you were here, you told us that there's gonna be a lot of evictions coming in Excellent. California. What's going on now? Are we seeing that?
0: Well, Over the past several months, we've already seen a significant uptick statewide, but particularly in places like San Francisco, uh, Alameda County, which has their moratorium set to end April 29th, and in places like Los Angeles, their moratorium ended uh, at least a phase out, a phase ended on March 31st, so we've already seen a significant uptick. I won't get into stats and bore you, but just know that the the number is big, and it's going to grow. As these moratoriums continue to end, in a place like Oakland, uh, that still has yet to confirm a real date for, for the end of their phase out of their moratorium, there's estimates that uh, hundreds, uh, perhaps thousands, you know, uh, could be expected to be evicted. So, uh, it's it's something we're keeping uh, an eye on, but it's only going to grow. Is the point, CMA.
1: Now, is it because people didn't have the funds to pay the rents? What, 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 why is all of this coming? Because uh, wasn't there funding to cover for the rents? What, what's going on?
0: Absolutely. So there was about $4.6 billion advocated to, to cover the rents, And now uh, they basically... For the
1: people that couldn't pay the rent during the pandemic, right? For the people that couldn't
0: afford to pay the rent. Um, so-called couldn't afford to pay the rent. Some, we know that they couldn't afford to pay the rent and others could afford to pay it and they just have not. I, I know that for a fact by way, by way of my clients. But uh, the idea is that you had $4.6 billion dollars allocated, and they've determined that's just not enough. There's still uh, a large number of, of rents that haven't been paid out there, which mean uh, that a large number of mortgage payments haven't been made, uh, which means that you also have pending foreclosures. Wow. So there's a domino effect, CMAC, uh, of what happens, and uh, but the long story short is, there's not enough money to cover all the back rents. And some of the rents that landlords have lost will never be covered, it's gone.
1: Are there people that you know that they have had mortgage to pay and they,
0: they didn't get the rent? Absolutely, um, you know, one of my clients, uh, it's a couple, and th- this is near and dear to my heart, I mean, these are great people, uh, first-generation uh, uh, immigrant from uh, from Mexico and uh, you know, they have a growing family a two-year-old uh, a one-year-old and they had a foreclosure date set for two weeks from now Wow and you know fortunately we were able to act just quickly enough to kinda get it postponed right but they they're in a situation where their tenant uh, a nurse who's making very good money, uh, just decided to stop paying rent after the eviction moratorium. And it's been about two and a half years of just not paying. And so you have a, a growing family, uh, a gentleman not much older than me, uh, and his wife around the same age, they come here to America to, uh, their family uh, come here to, to have an experience of American dream and they find themselves living uh, an American nightmare to some extent right just because uh, a tenant refused to pay the rent not because they couldn't afford it
1: so they she had a job the nurse they had a job they had that
0: she she's had the income she's had a job the whole time and um, it's unfortunate she just at some point just decided to stop paying the rent and when uh, my clients confronted her about it in a nice way they said hey we're willing to work with you we just want to pay the mortgage Right They even put it in context, what happens if we lose the home? And she said, "Well, the law is on my side so it's 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 people like that 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 kind of you know, give us a different perspective of the moratorium, if you will, because the moratorium's not all bad. you know we want to be careful in talking about the moratorium. It's, it's helped a number of people as well, um, especially in the wake of the greatest pandemic we've seen since uh uh, 1919 the Spanish flu yeah, right? and
1: everybody, sh- everything shut down so people didn't have incomes right for for a few months it was very chaotic you never know you didn't know what was gonna happen
0: e- exactly so it served a purpose the problem is government uh, state and local government municipalities have not done well to understand when to sunset the moratoriums in place right when I say sunset yeah, that, that's the idea behind a legislation that uh, is set to, to end at some point, to sunset, right? But the sun never sets on certain legislation as we know. And that's what's happened with this moratorium. So it had a great purpose, had a great effect for a period of time. But now that we're three years outside of the pandemic, you're seeing people begin to suffer. And it's because uh, a lot of tenants, not all, but a lot of tenants are in a much better position financially than they were back in 2020. So that's where you have families like the one I just told you about, um, experiencing hardship, facing uh, foreclosure, and uh, you know, it's not having reliable tenants is a real issue.
1: Are there more people that are in this situation where they may lose their homes and?
0: Absolutely, um, I, have, uh, I have a client who has had a tenant living in his property uh, since March of 2020, the first phase of the moratorium statewide enacted, March 1st of 2020, I believe, tenants stopped paying rent um, and has been able to travel and experience things, travel all over the world over that course of time, uh, makes money, works two jobs, and uh, I've been told his his income is upwards of $120,000 a year, and so it's it's... Again, it's stories like this that that give you another perspective. My client, on the other hand, has exhausted his savings. Um, his credit has gone down significantly. Because he can't pay the mortgage, is that? Because he can't afford to pay the mortgage, um, you know, and he's in a situation where probably in the next few months from now, we're probably going to have to start looking at kicking back another uh, foreclosure date, right? Wow. And and. If I could just briefly add to that, I think one of the biggest issues here is, at some point during the moratorium back in 2020, 2021, you had uh, a system in which the government would come in and sort of help out uh, the landlord, if you will, pay the mortgage so that they wouldn't default on their mortgage. That applied to certain banks and whatnot. Those protections are gone. So, if a if a landlord is not getting the rent, and by the way, you have certain you know companies out there, you have certain Uh, organizations like Radco and whatnot that disperse the funding that's supposed to cover the shortfall in the rents and the mortgage. Well, the problem with that is the determinations for them uh, to actually say no or deny uh, giving that that subsidy, that rental assistance, that's just been determined to be arbitrary and uh, very subjective. In fact, uh, there have been three lawsuits that were filed over the last two years Saying that the qualifications, the standards by which are used to uh, say yes or no to an applicant for this coverage, whether it's a tenant, whether it's a landlord, uh, a judge has basically agreed and said, "Yeah, it seems kind of arbitrary." So you have the situation where uh, you know people like the client I was just telling you about just can't afford to pay the rent, (laughs) the mortgage, right? uh, We can't afford to pay the mortgage and um, there's no savior coming, You know, there's no government. So the government didn't,
1: what, what they were supposed to do this for the l- landlords, like what mm-hmm. happened?
0: Yeah, they were doing it for a period of time and at some point in time, I believe it was a year and a half ago, um, they basically said, okay, we're going to set things up such that um, the government will subsidize the rent, right? All the back rents that are owed, whether by, by a payment to a tenant Or payment to the landlord. Either way, the landlord was eventually supposed to get the rents, right? So that they could pay their mortgage. The problem is, there's twofold problems. One, many of the tenants will use those funds on things other than the rents.
1: So they got the funds and they didn't pay the landlords? Yes.
0: Wow. Receive the funds. It's not always the case, but many of my clients. Uh, have tenants that have received funds even though they had other jobs absolutely had other jobs they received the funds use the funds on something else and uh... the landlord is is left uh... with nothing more than an option to report a fraudulent deal here and that that ultimately doesn't pan out for the for the landlord they're still stuck uh, trying to pay the mortgage And some cities are still, you mentioned Oakland,
1: Uh, there was a protest there. You were there in the protest. Can you tell us what's going on there? Absolutely. Uh,
0: The protest was just, uh, I actually think it was just a a great thing. You um, You had people from all walks of life, all creeds, age, socioeconomic statuses, demographics coming together, united to say, we need an end date to the eviction moratorium. They weren't saying oh it needs to be over yesterday they, they were just saying give us a date <laughs> right um, there's an old proverb that I think applies here um, hope deferred makes the heart sick and I think you've had a situation where all these landlords have had this hope deferred saying you know City Council will say oh well it's going to be next month it's going to be in a couple of months we're going to give you an eviction moratorium end date right and it hasn't happened so now you have landlords uh, sick to their stomach, which is why they came out to protest. Uh, You had individuals um, in the city council meeting who were holding up signs. Uh, Some of them were, um, I mean, they were all just expressing themselves uh, rather aggressively and rightfully so. And there was a landlord, a Chinese landlord, that Mm -hmm. actually
1: went on a hunger strike, right? Yes. It was a few weeks ago.
0: Went on a hunger strike, uh, which, was a, a real demonstration of just how egregious the moratorium is. Uh, it, was, it, it was significant enough that it reached all kinds of media outlets and attention was drawn to it uh, not just because of the act itself but because there were so many landlords and property owners drawn to, to the message which is that we need an end date we need some level of certainty we've got to be able to pay our mortgages uh, we've got to be able to uh, feed our families, you know. Uh, I mean, I mean personally, you know, CMAC. If I could speak personally to this, the first landlords that I saw knew altogether were my parents, right? Um, in fact, they were—they weren't even landlords. They were property owners. They just owned a property, right? They would have dreamed to have tenants, right? <laughs> but um, I tell you what—you know—we we lived in a very small house in Pacifica. Uh, most people don't even know where Pacifica is. <laughs> it's just south of uh, San Francisco. But it was a very small house. There was nothing special about that house. <laughs> I mean, uh, beyond my mother's china cabinet, if anything, right? Uh, but I tell you one thing. I will never forget the value that they placed on that house. Right? My mother and my father worked tirelessly as property owners of that house. Um, my mother worked two jobs. She worked for Stanford University, <coughs> and then worked for retail. And um <coughs> my, uh, my dad worked uh, full time for FedEx. And then he worked as an auto mechanic. And then he somehow found time to do a pizza route Where my brother and I would go, you know, the pizza routes with him, and then around three or four a.m. in the morning, he was doing a paper route, right, Uh, in uh, in certain hotels in San Francisco. (coughs) So, you know, they worked tirelessly for this property to afford this property, and there was nothing special about that home. But I tell you what, they never told us how special it was and how important this this concept of home ownership was, right? But they demonstrated it just by way of their work ethic. So, you know, I, I will never forget the address, 720 Clare's Drive in <laughs> Pacifica. But, but, you know, when I see a lot of my clients, when I see landlords and property owners, because a lot of people say, well, wh- why are you advocating for the property owner and the landlord so much? I see my parents. I see my parents. I see my mother, um, you know, uh, working two jobs just to make ends meet, taking care of three kids, uh, going to church when she could, just just trying to make ends meet. And uh, a tax paying citizen, you know, just, and so when I see all these people, and I think that's what people need to understand these are people, right? These aren't big, giant companies. 80%, if you remember one stat, it's that 80% of property owners, of landlords in California, are actually people, individuals, (coughs) just like my parents. And I think if we can reimagine, them as people, as human beings entitled to the, to the same rights, <coughs> to the same rights of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, all of that, right? I think you will have less of a demonization in equating them with large, gigantic cor- corporations like Mosser Companies or, or Woodland Properties or whatever. You know, and so I, I think if we can get that distinction out of in our minds, we can sort of take away this, uh, this sort of demonization of the big, bad landlord.
1: Before we continue, we would like to thank Shen Yun for sponsoring this channel. I lived in China for two years and experienced two different Chinas. One is the China we know now, unfortunately with communism. And the other is ancient Chinese culture with 5,000 years of history, strong values, ethics, and morality that has been lost. Shen Yun Performing Arts is reviving this 5,000 years of Chinese traditional culture. It takes you back in time to magical world of ancient China with a unique blend of brilliant dancing, beautiful costumes, and legends coming to life. Go to Shenyun.com to find out the schedule and theater information. It's a lifetime experience you don't wanna miss. Book your tickets today. Now let's go back to the interview. Do you think these city leaders um, look at these landlords like that? Did, because there was a lot of, the, uh, what you mentioned, the event, uh, the mm-hmm. protests, and there's all sorts of people from different backgrounds. Do you think the city leaders see it? S- see that? No, I don't think they do. And unfortunately, I think... In Oakland and other places, and th- there's this philosophy in this state that, yeah. you know, are these people really understanding? Are they understanding?
0: I think the... I'll, I'll be careful and qualified here. I think there are a number of people, a number of people on city councils that don't believe that at all. They don't care about the landlord. They don't care about the property owner. Um, and it may just be because um, it's just their perspective they've adopted through their life experiences. Um, but anyone who's been around someone who's owned property understands you got to respect it. <laughs> it's, it's their property. They've done something to earn it. They're on the hook for when payments don't get made, right? And I, I think, unfortunately, you do have these city council members, mayors. Some are, are in the position that their constituents don't care much about landlords as well, right? So they have to listen to their constituents. But at the end of the day, as Dr. Martin Luther King said, yeah, time is always right to do what's right. You say what's right, you do what's right, um, and what's happening to landlords right now is wrong.
1: Do you think these city leaders in Oakland and other places like L.A., and that they're extending this moratorium, are they concerned that people are
0: going to become homeless? I think they're more concerned uh, of the perception that society has of landlords and tenants, particularly their constituents, right? And I don't think that they're, I don't think that they're looking at the longer picture, which is always the battle in big government and small government um, in local municipalities, which is looking way down the road, right? Instead of looking to today and tomorrow. And if you look at today and, today and tomorrow, you're thinking, "Well, just kick the can down the run on the eviction moratorium. At some point, things will sort out themselves." Well, that's not true. <laughs> Foreclosures will happen. De- notices of default will happen. Uh, more and more people will become homeless by way of the continued eviction moratoriums. You know, a, a lot of a lot of people don't understand that the longer you prolong a moratorium period like this, the less likely landlords are going to want to continue to uh, have their properties on the market for rent in the first place so the problem that the moratorium was created to fix in large part keeping people in their homes you've heard it right see keeping people in their homes so they don't become homeless I I get it it's it's a logical it's a logically sounding uh, argument the problem with that argument is that it doesn't consider the landlords who will take their properties off the rental market altogether I can't tell you the number of uh, clients that I have that are pursuing the Ellis Act eviction, which is one of the only evictions permitted uh, in spite of the moratorium period.
1: So they would sell? Is that, is that how?
0: It, it's basically uh, a landlord's election to take the m- property off the market altogether. So not selling it, but they're saying, I'm not going to rent it out, period. And I'm t- they actually have to do it for all their properties. So you could have a landlord, you envision a landlord who has three rental properties, housing three different families, right? Well, they pursue an LS Act eviction because they're tired of dealing with all the moratoriums, you have three displaced families within six months to a year. Now, see, Mac, you tell me how that fixes the homeless problem, <laughs> you know? Hmm. And, and, and it, it's, it's, it's just unfortunate because, again, the logic we hear is keep people in, in these homes but that is not always going to be the case. And, and, and the net effect of that is going to result in an in, in increasing number of homelessness. And there
1: is a situation now that I feel that from what we are hearing anecdotally, it's a lot harder for people to get qualified for renting a place. You know, yes. Before it wasn't like this, a decade ago, mm-hmm. people wouldn't check your income. Like, okay, is your
0: income like three times your right. rent? They right. wouldn't do that, right? No, no. Um, now. Um, you're gonna have these intense credit checks. They're already there actually, right? Where you know, I have clients who who want to see um, all the financials, they want to go back from some time just to really evaluate what your previous tenancies looked like. So you bring up a great point, CMAC, in that now it's twice as hard for a tenant to even qualify to get into a rental unit. And <coughs> unfortunately, if you're a tenant who has been able to afford to pay the rent, and you've decided, hey, I'm gonna elect not to pay it because there's an eviction moratorium period uh, in place that says I don't have to pay it. Well, now you're gonna have a really difficult time moving into a different rental unit because you've elected to take that, that option. And you know, uh, for the tenants who couldn't afford to pay rent altogether, look, they couldn't afford it. Thank goodness there was a, a moratorium in place for some time to, to cover those, those offsets. Uh, those rents, um, my heart goes out to the people that really needed this moratorium period, but the unfortunate reality is uh, you have uh, a si- you have a system in place that is going to make it really difficult going forward for tenants to qualify
1: so instead of doing case by case analysis, just the government just went, okay, you guys, we don't care about you guys, we care about these guys, yeah, yeah, and some people took advantage,
0: yeah. Some people th- really took advantage. Uh, the anecdotal references I gave, of course, <clears throat> today. But you know, I, I think y- you bring up another point, C M A C. The solution here for the moratorium, and I've been saying this since twenty twenty. Uh, nobody's listen. <laughs> Maybe we should do more of these shows. <laughs> <laughs> people would listen. But if you actually had it structured as uh, not a one size fits all approach. You actually have the moratorium say, okay, in order to qualify for protection from being evicted for non payment of rent, you are required to show your financials to justify that protection. What you would have, CMAC, is uh, I mean, that's how a lot of policies already work today. It's just common sense. If you qualify, you qualify. You can't pay the rent. The government steps in. We have to do what we have to do to protect families, right? But if you don't qualify, you shouldn't be entitled to the subsidy, <laughs>
1: right? Yeah, yeah, and just take it and not pay others. Yeah, exactly,
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, as opposed to uh, using that money to inject funds in uh, Europe or Greece or wherever people are <laughs> traveling. <laughs> you know, and and but in all seriousness, I think the solution, and I think y- you're you're seeing uh, uh, local moratoriums that are starting to implement that in San Francisco now. Um, their moratorium allows a landlord to evict for non-payment of rent, but if the tenant has a financial reason for their not being able to pay rent in the past, the courts will consider that, right? So y- y- you have people now starting to adopt that sort of logic, but I think if you had this qualifier, just this standard qualifier to say, hey, do you qualify or do you not? As opposed to saying, hey, if, even if you make $200,000 a year and you're a tenant and you can clearly afford to pay the rent, Uh, had there been some protections in place to prevent that uh, you know a lot of my clients would certainly be in a better position and a lot of landlords statewide, property owners statewide would be in a much better position. What is the impact of all of this in the long run for for California? Um, I think the impact is first and foremost you're gonna see a wave of evictions unlike anything the state of California has seen before. Um, If there's anything you're gonna see a lot of displacements um, and and I'm, I'm an optimist, but I'm, I, I'm just giving you what's very likely to, to come. Analysts are already talking about it, people familiar with uh, uh, the landlord-tenant relationships and that dynamic and what's, what's transpired over the last three years. They're predicting uh, that a wave of evictions, displacements uh, are coming. And if there's anything reminiscent of what's about to come, You might want to look back to uh, 1990, the period of 1990 through 1994, which was just before the enactment of the Costa-Hawkins Act. Now, in brief... Can
1: explain that? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. In in brief, um, during that time frame, you you were seeing uh, a wave of uh, these rent control ordinances in California uh, that had extreme, extreme forms of rent control, places like Santa Monica, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Berkeley, and whatnot. And it caused landlords, property owners, to not basically, kind of be in a similar situation today, not being able to afford to pay their mortgages, right, because the rent control was so uh, egregious. And in response to that, I guess the aftermath of that was kind of what we're seeing now. Displaced families, uh, landlords not being able to cover the mortgage, right. 1995 Uh, 1994-1995 you see the enactment of the Costa Hawkins Act which basically uh, permits landlords to raise the rent particularly if they're single-family homeowners permits them to raise the rent there's a lot of exceptions and nuances I won't get into uh, so I I don't want to bore people but the point is at that time you you saw between 1990-1994 it was all this displacement this uncertainty contentious relationships between landlords and tenants, you saw displacements of landlords and tenants, um, displacements of landlords because they couldn't afford to pay their mortgage, many of them. So they lost their homes. Exactly. And so you see, uh, that's that's sort of reminiscent of what we're seeing now. history repeats itself. It's just repeating itself in a different form now. So what I'd like to see, what I'd hope to see uh instead of that bad <laughs> sort of bad prediction. I'd like to see uh moratoriums number one, all moratoriums should get behind a date for a phase out, right? It doesn't have to be immediate, doesn't have to all happen at once. No you know, we don't need to cold turkey it. But particularly the city of Oakland needs to have a certain date. Um we, we need to have certainty for landlords and the phase out should be such that it gives landlords a reasonable time frame to, to consider their options and gives tenants a reasonable time frame to not feel that they're just being displaced, right? And in order to do that, you need to have an open ear to both the Goliath landlords, like my, like my parents, right? <laughs> it's clearly a joke, right? <laughs> um, which, by the way, segue, if my parents had tenants today and they were in the situation we were in when I was seven, eight years old, and, the, and they didn't have reliable tenants they wouldn't be able to afford the mortgage they wouldn't be able to have the house and keep the house um, it, 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 quite frankly the moratorium I'm convinced the moratorium would completely end their ability to maintain that property right so uh, but but back to my point I think if society if our culture could get behind or get around that idea that uh, these eighty percent of property owners that that are very much like my parents um, are uh, Goliath and these bad people that just have all this money to, to dis- dispense with and, and they're living the high life. If we can dispense with that myth, that spectacle and get behind the reality that we're all in this struggle together, we're tied together. Tenants and landlords are joined at the hip together. Tenant doesn't pay their rent, the landlord cannot afford often to pay their mortgage. And so um, they both serve a purpose. And uh, I, I, think, I think if we can get behind that, we can see uh, a better reality going forward than the displacement. And we can not only keep tenants in their homes, uh, we, we can not only do that, I think more importantly, we can provide more opportunities, more housing opportunities for tenants at every end of the socioeconomic spectrum.
1: When you saw this situation, you know, you're seeing this. Uh, Landlords protesting, and then you have customers, you know, like h- how does it make you feel to see this happening?
0: Um, to, to see, uh, landlords
1: protesting and, and just. And tenants can't don't, are not paying when they have the funds, they're not right. paying the rent. And right. then your, your, your customers, your clients are kind of potentially close to losing their homes.
0: Yeah. You know, it, it, it makes me feel on a personal level, and just personally i again i think back to i think back to my parents, you know and I think back to at least for the mom and pop landlords the eighty percent right and you know the people i guess speaking from experience to la to the to the city council meeting in Oakland um, there were about fifty maybe fifty to sixty property owners landlords in that in that room, and when i uh I think I spoke for a couple of minutes on some of the issues. But one of the things I did, I I just asked people in the room, because people wanted to be heard and not everybody was going to get an opportunity to speak, so I wanted to give some of these people an opportunity, Um, particularly some of those who were in wheelchairs or weren't able to go up to the podium. So I said, please raise your hand if you're a landlord that has trouble paying the mortgage because you have a tenant that's not paying rent. All these hands go up. At least 50 or 60 hands, you know, and uh, I asked a series of other questions. And uh, the last questions I asked, uh, I said, "Raise your hand if you are facing a foreclosure, or you can see down the road it looks like you're going to lose your property because your tenant is not paying the rent." Almost all the hands wow. in the room were raised, see, Mac. Um, and I think that was just an illustration to show, look. The problem is worse than people think. And you can read as many news headlines as you want to from LA Times, CNN, whoever. I think the Epoch Times will cover it the best. But you can read all the the sources you want that say, oh well, landlords are getting over on the tenants and tenants are being displaced at the hands of the big bad landlords. Uh, But the reality is uh, landlords are hurting not saying tenants, tenants are, tenants are certainly hurting, but we need to have an open ear to the property owners in this state. And I think if we do that, uh, we'll find that, tenants will find that there are a lot of property owners out there who have their best interests and will have their back, right? And and will be open to hearing a negotiation if the, the tenant is having a hard time rent maybe a couple of months out of the year, uh, whatever it may be, I think they're gonna see they have allies in the uh, property owners community.
1: So Jonathan, do you just work with the landlords or do you have a a vision, do do you see the tenant side? Have you seen, have you worked with the tenants?
0: Yeah, um, I I would say a a large portion of my practice is working with landlords and property owners, right? Just by nature of the practice. That being said, uh, I will represent tenants on occasion particularly when I find the landlord has acted egregiously in doing something wrong. Because um, right is right, wrong is wrong. Um, you know, I, I try to live my life by uh, Isaiah, I think it's 117, it says, uh, uh, pursue justice and rebuke the oppressor. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, so whoever the oppressor is, <laughs> I'm trying to <laughs> rebuke them. <laughs> uh, but, you know, in this case, I actually have a, c- a class action suit Brewing right now, where you have about 60 uh, families in uh, East Palo Alto who are facing uh, constructive eviction, who are facing uh, conditions that not only violate what we call in the state of California the law of the warranty of habitability, which just means um, the duty to maintain a habitable premises, right? Uh, if you walk into their units, they look like third-world countries, wow. um, uh, underdeveloped nations. Should, being politically correct, um, you know. There's green mold. There's rats, uh, vermin. Um, the pipes uh, have issues. Uh, the The recent rainstorm CMAC that pummeled California, the 19 rainstorms uh, from December to January, completely flooded the entire. Uh, parking lot area. It's kind of like under, underground. And so about 40 or 50 cars were completely destroyed. Wow! Um, and it's all because uh, a big landlord, uh, this is one of those corporate landlords, by the way. There, there are good landlords and there are bad landlords, just like there are good tenants and, and bad tenants. Um, but these landlords have permitted conditions to exist for years and years and years that were so bad. They're so bad. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't wish those conditions on anyone. And so when I uh, when I uh, met representatives of this group, I couldn't say no to representing them because I knew representing them was the right thing to do. Landlords don't get a free pass to treat tenants the, however you want to however you want to treat them. You 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 address these conditions regardless of the laws and the moratoriums in place. Uh, but I will I will just briefly say. I won't blame the eviction moratorium for putting them in this position to do that. Uh, they acted irresponsibly and recklessly and negligently and uh, all kinds of other ways, but I will say this when you have a law in place that prohibits uh, landlords from taking certain actions with regard to their tenants, and uh, it's designed to, and then you have rent controls on top of that, um, the overregulation of the conditions for the landlord-tenant relationship pits the landlord and tenant uh, you know, against each other. And so uh, you have a situation like this where uh, some might call me a landlord or a property owner attorney. <laughs> uh, I have to take this you know, because it's the right thing to do. And so I, I would just say that it's equally important for landlords to treat their tenants in a decent and respectable fashion um, and I think that sanitary, you, we have this debate going on right now. There's people that are calling housing a human right. I think that sanitary, clean, uh, habitable conditions, that, that, that's a right for sure. People have a right to, to live in, in 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 decent conditions.
1: Jonathan Madison, lead attorney at the Madison Law Firm. It was great to have you in California. Inside.
0: Thank you. See you, Mac. Great, t- great to be here.
1: If you like the show and our content, you should go to InsiderCA.com and sign up to our newsletter because we never know what can happen with social media and other platforms in terms of distributing our content. If you'd like to come on the show and be an insider, you can reach out to us at cainsider at epochtimesca.com. Again, it's cainsider at epochtimesca.com. We would love to have you on the show to tell us what's going on in your field in California.